Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Katie. Are you excited for our topic today? I am, actually. I'm looking forward to something uh, a little light and fun. How about you? No, I feel the same way. I feel like this week has aged me about a million years, so it seems mm. appropriate. <laughs> it's been a dumpster fire week. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's okay. It's looking up. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Maybe this will be a little more fun going into the weekend. Absolutely. Conversations with you are always a highlight, so it's it's a good way to end out a rough week, but... Uh, before we jump in, I wanted to remind everybody that your support helps us keep this show running, uh, and we would love for you to help us out by becoming a patron over on Patreon. Um, you can do it for as little as a dollar a month just to help us pitch in for hosting the sound files, for all of the work that we do to get it together. We love providing it for you, and we would love for you to help us make it happen. So go to patreon.com slash kindreds. And if you sign up at the $3 level or more, we'll invite you to our private Facebook group. And actually, today's topic came from one of our patrons uh, in a conversation over there. So you can help influence the show. And just if we could ask you for one more favor, if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, like you've probably heard on every other podcast you listen to, it helps Mm -hmm. other people find the show. So just take two seconds, open up your Apple Podcast app, select five stars if you feel the love, and type up a quick review. We would so appreciate it. Yeah, we would really appreciate it. Okay, that's it for announcements. Today, we are going to talk about aging, and that's going to be a really fun conversation. There's a lot of topics that we could cover under aging, but we're going to keep it a little bit lighter, as Ashley said. So Just to get us started, Ashley, let's talk about Mm -hmm. how old we are, each of us, and how do we feel about the age that we are right now? Okay. (laughs) So I will be 35 in a couple of months. And how do I feel about being in my 30s? I think I thought I would feel a little more settled than I do, I would consider my 30s to be a little more transitional feeling than I had expected. My 20s were all about growing up, learning from mistakes, and that's not to say I don't still make mistakes, but I guess I do feel like I have it a little more together than my 20s, but I just still feel like I'm adjusting maybe to life as a new mom. Mm-hmm. Um, that's big. Yeah. So... I I guess I've always heard folks talk about like how much they love their 30s and um I don't know that I share that. That's fair. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't have any like big complaints, but I do feel like I'm just in a big transitional phase of my life with like having a new 1-year-old and I kind of made a big career transition in my early 30s, you know, I spent all of my 20s as a dietitian mm-hmm. and then now I'm I'm doing reproductive health and rights and um I feel like I'm just getting into my stride maybe with that. So yeah, I guess I still feel like I'm a little bit in transition. But one thing I do love about being in my 30s I will say this is I am a whole lot better at boundaries now Mm -hmm. than I was in my 20s. I'm just really – I don't have a problem saying no about protecting my time. I don't worry so much about what other people think. So those are things that I – I guess I do like about being in my 30s. What about you? I wish I could say the same thing about what you shared about not caring what (laughs) other people think. I think I have some growth to do uh, that you've already done. So I look forward to that. 
I'm turning 36 this year, actually the same month, I think, that you're yes. turning 35. And uh, I think about the movie Jennifer Garner's 13 going on 30. When oh, yeah. <laughs> she's like, 30, flirty, and thriving, 30, flirty, and thriving, like, and how badly <laughs> she wants to not be 13 and she wants to be 30. And... um. My 30s are really when I feel like my life has has started to come together. And I think a difference is when we became parents. So I had my baby when I was 31, just turned mm-hmm. 31. So um, definitely like a little bit earlier than you. And so I've had more time to adjust to that. Uh, and that marks a huge transition, of course. I feel like I'm sort of hitting my stride a bit more with that. But I also transitioned as well from a job that I've been doing for for quite a while that was not having me, I was not feeling fulfilled and became an entrepreneur. And that was a huge, huge change and a huge yeah. risk. And um, it's taken me, I'm in my third or fourth year of that. And I feel like I'm finally starting to feel like really steady in it. And mm-hmm. I feel like I've gotten so much better about claiming my power. Um, like I've been in a lot of contentious situations lately and i I find that they don't make me feel as shaken as they used to, especially Mm. because I'm like, been there, done that, seen it before, and I just have enough knowledge and self-awareness and have reflected enough that I feel like I know how to handle those situations better. So not that they don't upset me, but I find that it's easier for me to engage in a more compassionate way while still standing very firm in my truth. And that feels really good. So... I would say it's been a huge transitional time for me as well, just like you, but maybe I'm like a little bit more into the transition and feeling more comfortable in it now. Um, And I'm sure that's coming for you. It's just all about like when those big things happen within that decade. Uh, And maybe they just happen for me like a little, a little bit earlier. And that's why it's feeling good now. Yeah. I love that what you said about how you've seen this before. And so it doesn't shake you as much like when you when there's conflict or when people, you know, act poorly or <laughs> have drama or whatever. I I feel a similar way. Like things don't shock me as much. Maybe mm-hmm. m- maybe I'm a little more cynical now than I was in my 20s, but like I I have that same kind of feeling like I things don't shake me as much. Conflict doesn't scare me quite as much because I'm like, ah, I've been through this before. I've been through worse before. Like I can stand up and say what I need to say and it's not going to kill me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of how that's really how I learned boundaries and stuff for things in my 20s where I it was scary and I had to I had to say no and I had to do that work and realize that. It not only did it not kill me, but it made life a whole lot better. Yeah. So those were some good lessons in my 20s that I'm glad to have applied in my 30s. Yeah. It makes me just think that I I used to be a lot more afraid of making mistakes. And now uh-huh. I'm less afraid of making mistakes and I'm terrified of losing my integrity. So it's like mm. as long as I can stay in integrity, I can make mistakes and own up mm-hmm. to them and learn and apologize and reconcile. But it's like... That for me is the thing that I have tried to maintain my very best. And it's like mistakes are going to happen no matter how hard I try. Mm -hmm. But I I do have I do have control over whether or not I I lose my integrity and I want to keep it. I think that's a really great thing to know about yourself. (laughs) So 
here's a question. How do you feel about your body now that you're in your 30s? And is it different from when you were in your 20s? Oh, my body feels different now. And I'm sure folks who are Mm -hmm. listening who are way past their 30s are like, y'all don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. But, um, but I, I do feel like I've I've definitely dealt with pain post-pregnancy that has lingered. Um, mm-hmm. I'm in physical therapy for the first time dealing with low back pain. And uh, I, I feel like, oh, I, it's not just one of those like wait and it'll heal. Like I actually have to do specific things to alleviate mm-hmm. it. And I'm kind of trying to wrap my mind around like I could probably be dealing with this forever like more or less you know and I'm there are things I'm gonna have to do and adjustments I'm gonna have to make to deal with that and like that's a pretty big realization I've I'm fortunate that I haven't had that before and so just being aware that like I'm gonna have to really focus on that and and do some things and spend the time and money to to get to a place where I'm I'm more comfortable than I am now so there's there's that but I think in general, I respect my body a lot more than I did mm-hmm. in my 20s. When I think about how late I would stay out and, you know, j- go out to cocktails every night, I don't drink yep. nearly as much alcohol as I did then. Same. Like, it's just not worth it. I, I want to feel good in the morning, especially with a kiddo who wakes up at six or earlier. Yep. <laughs> um, And I, I think I have, I mean, you you have the benefit of being a dietitian, but I feel like I haven't. I had not done research around nutrition until I was in my late 20s and early 30s and like really figuring out what makes me operate at an optimal level, like just from Mm -hmm. a input sort of way. And so I just don't eat nearly as much junk. I think I eat like higher quality things. Um, I go to bed early. I work out regularly. I've always done that. But now when I'm at the gym, I think – I can't kill myself every day to try to burn as many calories as possible. Like I have to think about taking time to slow down and do yoga and stretch and and strength train and like not just be on the elliptical for an hour. So I think I just have a much different perspective about that. So yeah, I don't know about you, um, but that's like on the just like upkeep of the body and like the physical how I'm feeling. I have other comments on like the beauty side, but maybe you have. Yeah. Thoughts. Yeah, I I feel similarly. I and uh, parenting changed a lot of things too. But I, my husband and I were already starting to slow down in terms of like we were in a, we have a pretty solid routine um, mm-hmm. even before the baby was born, and like realizing that a routine actually helped us feel better. And I think mm-hmm. for me, a lot of my thirties has had to do with wanting to feel good every day. And yes. so, yeah, things like, I don't want to be hungover. No. Um, <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I want to get a good night's sleep. I want to enjoy my vacations um, right. and actually get out and do things. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the way that I, what I considered fun, I guess, in my 20s is a little different yeah, from what I consider it. fun now, which, you know, it, I guess it's a cliche because it's true. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I feel the same way. It's like I don't want to pay the next day. I don't want to stay in bed the next day because of what I did for a few hours the night before. The next three days. And I don't have the option know? anymore. Like it's that mm-hmm. not available to me. Um, yep. So <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I th- yeah, recognizing our limitations, I think, yes. is maybe a, <laughs> a key theme yeah. of my 30s. And on the on the beauty side, and I want to hear from you too, but I'm like all about comfort now. Like there's just certain things yes. I don't do. If I if I put on a pair of pants and it's too tight, I'm like, I take it to Goodwill. 
You know, yeah. like I don't keep clothes that are uncomfortable. I don't wear thong underwear anymore. I don't wear high heels hardly ever. And if I do, I've got some that Mm-mm. are from Clark's that are like the most comfortable ones you can <laughs> buy. And I I quit wearing underwire bras. Like I just don't do it anymore. Like good for I, you. Yeah. I'm like, they're uncomfortable. And after spending all of pregnancy in like beautiful, com- not beautiful, but like super comfy pregnancy maternity clothes, like yes. I can't go back from that. Like, once you've worn maternity pants, it's over, you know? It's just... Absolutely. It's done. Like, it's... You can't go back to something that's uncomfortable. So I just feel like I try to... You know, I like to look nice, but I pick clothes that fit my body and are comfortable to wear, and I don't have to be, like, constantly adjusting or wear um, that fashion tape for anything like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I don't wear makeup that much. I work from home, so I don't do a lot of makeup, and I'm at the gym so much. Um, But I have started spending time and money on on my skin mm-hmm. a lot more and I've shared with you that I got cooked totally sold after listening to getting curious with Jonathan Van Ness um when they had the woman who started Tatcha skincare <laughs> yep. the Japanese That was a great episode. It was so good cuz they're like talking about skin like oh she's the biggest organ in our body and like she needs our she needs our care. It was so cute. I loved that they kept referring to skin as she. That everything was so she, great. Everything on that podcast Everything is she. she. Yes. But I my yeah. at the time my face was really chapped and I was finding that when I was teaching and sweating my skin was getting inflamed and really like dried out and I thought I have been doing all of these really harsh things to my skin um to try to make it look better and I'm like maybe I need to go the opposite and do a very gentle regimen mm-hmm. with high quality ingredients so that's my splurge I guess in terms of how I look um and I don't tan anymore I wear sunscreen every day and then the last thing I'll say and I'll let you you share is like my hair is definitely starting to turn gray. Um, I think post-pregnancy with all the hair falling out, like I have a lot mm-hmm. more grays coming in. But I have great genetics on my mom's side. My grandfather was silver gray by 21. My mom has that silver color hair. And with really dark hair that I have, I'm kind of excited to see if I get that too. Like I think it'll look really cool. <laughs> so we have the early gray in our family too. Mm-hmm. Um but it's very – so the men – this is all on my mom's side. The men get that great, like, silver fox situation happening. The women's hair just turns gray and balls out. <laughs> so okay. my – yeah, I'm not – I actually got my first gray hairs at 17. Oh, wow. That is early. Yeah. I was actually um, – I was at work, and I was sitting in, like, an office chair, and my boss came up over me and was like, oh, she looked down at my hand and said, oh, Ashley, you have a gray hair. And she just, like, pulled it out. <laughs> I was what? horrified. That's horrifying. And I know. It, it was it was a little bit invasive. But, um, you know, she, she meant well, I guess. But I've been dyeing my hair at my temples, at the roots of my temples, since I was – in college, and mm-hmm. it's just something I'm used to. I've been doing um, at-home hair color for a long time. I have not yet made the plunge to salon color because it's just so expensive, uh, and you have to go so and yes, often. You do. Um, so I'm I'm happy to color my hair at home as long as I can. I have not yet decided how I will approach going gray. I do think. I have some friends who can really rock the like salt and pepper or a cool gray streak, you know. I know. I I want that. Don't know <laughs> if I can do that because <laughs> 
to be honest, when my hair, when it's been a while between touch-ups, when my hair is gray, it looks a lot thinner. And mm-hmm. that's just a I'm just really self-conscious about that. So I don't I don't know. But the idea of like going to the salon every couple of weeks for like an hour and just spending that time on myself, there's an appeal to that. That's so true. I'm not ruling it out. <laughs> it's With, expensive. You can but... like read People magazine while you have foil in your hair and some my my salon has wine there, so that does sound kind of nice. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so I don't know. I'm not ruling it out, um, even though it's not in my immediate future. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same vein, some of my friends I've recently learned have started using fillers, uh, which I was surprised to learn because I thought that was something we were not going to have to think about for another decade or so. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, haven't really made up my mind or thought too much about whether or not I would be open to procedures or fillers or Botox, things like that. Have you ever thought about that before? I I have not. I will say, though, I I grew up on a place that was pretty wealthy, even though my family wasn't. And so a lot of a lot of surgical procedures, a lot of Botox, a lot of chemical peels. Like mm. it was just – I mean, I had a friend in high school get a nose job. So it was like very much – Oh. Yeah, like very much in my face um, and new plastic surgeons and stuff. And there was something about it even as a young girl that I just felt like I, I don't – want to go through that like I it just the whole idea of it just didn't make sense to me and I it I don't know I always felt uneasy about it and I, like for something like Botox the idea of needles in my face is really not appealing to me and I'm not really someone who suffers a lot for beauty like I wax my eyebrows and I'll just leave it at that like that's all I do so yeah. <laughs> that's like the most pain I'm willing to go through beauty wise. And I just feel like going under surgery or having needles in my face or like, I don't know. It's just not, I'm not willing to suffer for beauty yet, I guess. Um, if I'm not willing to wear an underwire bra that kind of says I it. mean, <laughs> I also I mean, don't have right. a lot of wrinkles. Like I think I have good genetics for that. My mom has beautiful skin. My grandmother does too. And I think some of that is just genetic and maybe like for you, the, um, the, the graying hair prematurely was like, you want to deal with that. And maybe for some people, if they wrinkle prematurely, you know, there's not as easy of a fix for that. Yeah. And so they want to like, they want to look more like the average peer. I can kind of see mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm, I don't, I'm not going to say I'll never do it, but um, I've never really seriously considered it for myself. What yeah. about you? I would never judge anybody for getting procedures done uh, because I am, very aware of the culture we live in. Like, it's not <laughs> – I think we are all doing the best we can <laughs> to just get by in the patriarchy, right. you know? Yes, I agree. So I'm not going to uh, ever make judgments about what other folks do with their bodies ever. But uh, for me, I'm not going to rule it out, but I just really dislike doctor's offices. Oh, me I too. try to avoid the healthcare system as much as I can. Me like, too. I don't, I don't want to voluntarily go. So to, the same. I, yes. I yeah. hated going to the doctor every time for when during for prenatal yes. visits. I'm like, seriously, I have to go again? Yes, same. And 
I so I'm all I also think about that episode of Sex in the City where Samantha goes. Um, oh, yeah. She uh-huh. I think she's going to get some Botox and the doctor's like, um, you know, we could do a little work here. We could do a little work here. And he's drawing all over her body with a with a red marker. Yes. And he, she's, you know, kind of open to the idea. Like, what can we do to make me prettier and younger until she looks in the mirror and sees all the things that he has circled wrong with her body. Right. And I there's a part of me that kind of feels like if I start with the fillers, yeah. I'm going to start noticing that, you know, it's like a this, gateway drug. <laughs> it is here, this age spot and here's this love handle. And, you know, it'd be so easy to just get a little lipo. Like, I, so I feel like there's a slippery slope mm-hmm. to it that scares me, frankly. Right. And it is an so, industry that's built on you exactly. buying more and more and more stuff. It is. And you it's built on making you feel bad about yourself. And I don't know. So I have a lot of – I have a, I guess a lot of fears about it. Um, but I also wouldn't – I'm not ever going to say like, oh, I would never. You yeah. know what I mean? Because I have no idea what's going to happen to me it's over true. the course of my lifetime. So it's you true. never know. And probably the technology as we age will be different and maybe less invasive or – I'm not opposed to the yeah. like topical application of things as yeah. much. But it's it's the injection like that or yeah. surgery that – when I got my wisdom teeth taken out, I was terrified. Like I, <laughs> I was just like crying the night before because I just don't, I didn't want to be there, and I just can't imagine right now what I would do. But I'm sure, like you said, I've, like I think I would get LASIK surgery if I need it eventually. Um, so LASIK scares me too. Yeah, my husband's had it done, but I just think like, are there things like that where it would be convenient to have it done? Yeah, and I'm willing mm-hmm. to pay the price. Um, but I'm more of like, can we cover it up topically than, um, yeah. And when I feel like it versus, um, doing something more permanent, but that's, it's mostly fear-based. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of fear, what scares you about getting older? Uh, okay. Um, a lot of things scare me about getting older. Uh, <laughs> you know, Mary Oliver, the poet just died. I loved her writings mm-hmm. and she there's this famous line of what will you do with your one wild and precious life yes and i had i encountered death pretty early in my life um among my family but also some really tragic things in our community so i saw a lot of people die prematurely i mean before they were old like they weren't dying of old age they were dying tragically and so i kind of always had this like how much time do i really have and mm-hmm. nobody in my family that I know of lived past 80. I mean, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother died when I, when she was 63. Um, my grandfather oh, wow. before 80. I never knew my dad's mom. She died when they were back from their honeymoon when my dad was oh, in their gosh. early 20s. So like, I don't feel like I've got longevity genes, but all mm. of those could have been environmental. Like we just don't know. But I kind of mm-hmm. go like, do I have until I'm 80 is it possible I'll I'll be going in my 80s into my 90s like I've just never seen it in my family and so there is that kind of just wondering like how much time I mean none of us can know but just thinking statistically do I have less time than the average person and like how do I make the most use of my time so I, I worry about that am I going to die that young 
Um, yeah. And that's just, that's scary. I, I, I want to be around longer than that. I want to be able to do the, the justice advocacy work, like, as long as I possibly can. So I'm, I'm worried yeah. that that's going to get cut short. And I'm not going to be able to share what I have with younger generations as long as I want to. That's real. Yeah. And that's heavy. Yeah. What about you? I It's similar, actually. I um, It's kind of hard. You know how when you're a kid, everyone seems old to you? Yes. Even like, high schoolers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even high schoolers. Like your teachers seem like the oldest people on the planet. And then like you grow up and realize they were 23 just out of college. So now it's the opposite in my life. Everybody seems so young. <laughs> And, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you mentioned your maternal grandmother passing at 63, that is so young to me. I know. Me. My mom's older than that now. Yeah. And um, that's really starting to hit me kind of the same as you, just how limited our time here is on this planet. And I'm starting to really feel the pressure. And my husband and I talk about this a lot. Uh, we both do. We've, we're really feeling the pressure to just do and see and experience everything that we can while we've got the time. And it's apparent, you know, the older I get that every choice you make means you close the door on other opportunities and experiences and other choices in your life. And so, you know, choices start to have a little more weight um, and learning to be okay with that and say goodbye to the other possibilities, the other lives you could have lived mm-hmm. um, is just this lifelong process. But it's uh, it's one that my husband and I grapple with. You know, we talked about this on the question of kids episode when we were still really kind of talking through, you know, I could envision two, two great lives, one with kids and one without. And um, – it's learning to be okay with the choices that we've made and knowing that there are just going to be some things that, you know, when we were kids that we thought we always thought we'd do. Yeah. And then like that stuff, <laughs> those those choices, um, maybe you close the door. And I actually, have you ever read uh, The Ghost Ship That Didn't Carry Us, the Dear Sugar column? No. Oh, okay. We'll we'll link it in the show notes. So this is actually um, Cheryl Strayed wrote the Dear Sugar column. We've talked about mm-hmm. her a lot on the podcast before. She um, a bunch of her columns were compiled in the book Tiny Beautiful Things. Yes, uh, this is this is I one of read, them. Maybe I. So this one, a, a person wrote her a letter asking, "Should I have kids or not?" Basically, and her answer to him really outlines, you know, when you're making big decisions in your life thinking of it from the perspective of your future self and what you will look back on your life and what kind of regrets you might have over choices you did or didn't make, like that can maybe help you make decisions. And she talks about the idea of, you know, every choice we make being um, a choice that leads us away from a different parallel life we could have had. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved that column. I encourage people to seek that out, especially if you're on like the precipice of a big, what feels like a crossroads moment in your life. But I feel like all of this is just hitting me a little harder as, as we're getting older. And, you know, Pat and I are realizing like we've made some choices that have set us on a trajectory. And so how do we intentionally create the rest of the life that we want? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, good. that's, <laughs> that. I guess not living a fulfilling life and not, you know, having all this stuff left undone is something that kind of that scares me too about getting older. Yeah. And what are the things that you'll actually remember 
and mm-hmm. reflect back on with pride. And that's mm-hmm. a, it's less about the day to day and more about those overarching ways of approaching life and, mm-hmm. and sometimes the small decisions that make up, that make up a bigger picture, which is yeah. just really hard. But I don't know about you. I think having a kid has really helped me focus on those things more and, I am much more careful, like you were saying, about how I spend my time now. Yeah. Sometimes it is hard to tease out, like, what, how has my perspective changed simply because I've gotten older versus because I'm also a parent? Yeah. They're inextricably linked. They are. And so I'm sure a lot of how I look at the world now has to do with the fact that I'm a parent. Well, what are you looking forward forward to about getting older? Yeah, a lot of that has to do with my kid, honestly. (laughs) Like, I'm really excited to watch him grow up, and I'm looking forward to being a parent to him through as as he grows and through his lifetime at all the different stages. I guess the other thing I'm excited about that's more about me is the older I get, the more I'm letting go of the old needs I had in my teens and 20s to have this, like, big, splashy, important, quote, career, Mm -hmm. you know, that was impressive. By like other people's measures of success. Um, really, now I'm just more focused on being happy, loving my family, contributing to the world, and enjoying my life. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if I continue that trajectory, um, I'm excited to see how that plays out over the next few decades. Yeah. You know, how about you? I like that. When you were talking about the big, splashy career. I'll just share that for for a while, and it's still kind of there, but I had this picture of being at the end of my career and having one of those, like, not a lifetime achievement award, but being recognized by some organization for the contributions I've made, where they, yes. like, kind of like a eulogy while you're still alive. And um, just thinking about that and being like, am I working towards that? Because what I have found is – those moments when I'm in the limelight are actually very uncomfortable for me. And Mm -hmm. what I would rather Mm -hmm. have are those moments in very intimate relationships where that kind of gratitude is, is shared um, and is mutual. And so I think I'm like you less concerned about making those big splashy things that get public recognition and more about really having meaningful, deep relationships. Um, because that, for me, I'm just much more open to receiving gratitude and appreciation that way than I am in in those big situations. So I think I've let go of that need to like have be a household name. Not that I ever thought that, yep. but like I don't need to be recognized, or I'm okay with being a a, a who versus a them, right? Like, yeah. Well, who's we that? were the, the generation that was the generation of girls that was raised like you could be the first female president. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I was totally the kid that said that, and I. Yeah. Uh, the older I get, the less appealing that seems. Yeah, Ugh. it's a like, double-edged sword for sure. Yeah. And um, yeah, and and like you, I I cannot wait to see who my daughter becomes. I mean, she's already yeah. a very interesting, cool person with with great artistic abilities. I mean, I know I'm biased, but she just has like a great eye and a focus on color and beauty and loves to sing and to dance. And she just, I just can't wait to see. And I I try to say now, because, you know, people say, oh, you're going to be an artist when you grow up. I've shifted that to saying she is an artist now. 
That's not a future. Oh, I love that. And I did not come up with that. I heard that somewhere and I will try to find the source, but just not being like, that's who you're going to be. It's like who she is already. She is already those things. I love it. Yeah. And in addition to her, because obviously I'll be investing a lot, the, the most meaningful things that have happened to me in my life have been when I have been investing in other folks. So now I'm at the place where people kind of want me to mentor them a little and that feels cool. very weird <laughs> but um I love that because I've had so many amazing mentors and I want to pour everything I have into helping other young folks and especially young women just claim their voice and step into mm-hmm. their calling and the more I can do that and the more time I have to do that the better like I just can't wait to champion young folks so in the vein of championing young folks, <laughs> how would you champion yourself? What, looking back, what advice would you give to yourself at age 10? Oh. And what about age 20? Oh, let's start with 10 maybe and go back and forth. Okay. Yes. Oh, actually, for a long time, I had a picture of myself when I was 10 taped to my computer because life Aww. was so hard when I was 10. It was Aww. so hard. My grandmother had died. My parents were separated. My grandfather quickly remarried. And like mm. everything felt so unstable. And I was just like mm-hmm. trying to hold it together. So when I think about my 10-year-old self, I say like, baby girl, that's what um, Carrie Jackson, our friend Carrie Jackson always says, baby yeah. girl, baby girl, I know you are like so scared and you're alone. You feel alone, but you have so much strength that you don't even know about. And it's going to, it's going to get you through, but You don't have to take care of everybody and let other people take care of you. Even if if that's not the people in your immediate family, like find the people who can take care of you because you deserve Mm -hmm. that. You are a kid. You're not a grown up. So that's what I wish I could tell my 10 year old self. What about you? Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. Um, Well, 10 year old Ashley was a little badass. I'm not going to lie. She was so (laughs) confident and self-assured. Yes. Like, let me tell you. So in fifth grade, did you guys have the D.A.R.E. program? Yes. I won school? the essay okay. contest. <gasps> so did I. That's yes, what I was just about to friends. say. <laughs> this is why we're friends. <laughs> should we explain yes. that just a little for people who don't know? Yes, we should because that's what my story was going to be about. Okay. So the essay contest is this big like D.A.R.E. is the like drug um, – Drug abuse resistance Drug abuse resistance Education. <laughs> And it's all about, like, police officers come to your school, like, on a monthly basis or so and do this whole, like, drug use prevention program for kids. Yes. It was all part of the whole 80s war on drugs. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. In the, like, mid-90s, most of us attended a D.A.R.E. program. And in fifth grade, it, like, culminates with this big essay contest about why you will never use drugs. (laughs) Yes. And I won that essay contest because I had – High self-esteem and people who use drugs had low (laughs) self-esteem. I got to go in a limousine to a fancy restaurant in front of the whole school. Like it came and picked me up in front of the whole school. Oh my gosh. And the kids from the other elementary schools that won, like we all got picked up in this limousine and we got to go out to a fancy lunch with these police officers. Oh my gosh. Can I share my most insane? Can I share what we got to do? Yes, please do. Was your story done? I'm sorry. Yes, that's the end of my story. And then I'll tell you what I would tell my 10-year-old self. Okay. (laughs) Our winners got to go on a school bus, which I had never been on because I was in um, 
was in private school, but we went, we took a school bus trip to Atlanta and we got to go see the Atlanta Braves play. And it was also the first time that ever spent the night in a hotel room that did not have a chaperone. Now, looking back, I'm like, was that a good idea? I don't think so. Were you alone in the hotel room? It was like a group of girls. So there were maybe four of us. And I'm sure there was a chaperone next door, but there was not an adult who was staying, who's sleeping in our room. In the room with you. Yeah. <laughs> that is a little young for that. Yeah. That is so, what? <laughs> anyway. Uh, well, I, you know, I think your reward for winning the essay contest might trump mine. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to ride on the little. school bus all the way to Atlanta. It's like five hour drive. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. So the one thing I will tell 10-year-old Ashley is don't lose that confidence. Aww, Middle yeah. school is going to suck so much. You're going to get braces and glasses, <laughs> and you're going to be growing out your bangs <laughs> all at the same time, and you're going to have to deal with mean girls and boys, and it's going to be – it's not going to be fun. But don't make yourself smaller Don't lose that confidence. High school is going to get so much better. You just have to hang in there. And also all the other kids are going through all the same crap you are. And so just because everybody else seems like they're cool and have their, you know, they have it together and they're popular or whatever, like they're just as insecure as you are. But yeah, middle school hit hit me really hard. And I just wish, um, yeah, 10 year old Ashley had a little bit more support. (laughs) To be to to not let it get to her. So, what about twenty year old Katie? (laughs) So that would have been my junior year of college, Mm -hmm. and I'd say go enjoy your semester abroad in Italy, (laughs) and forget about missing your boyfriend while you're there. (laughs) (laughs) Do you Uh, even remember his name? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I remember Mary Hunt, who's this um, Catholic feminist theologian. I was telling her about him. Well, we eventually broke up. We were a little older, and she was like, "He's forgotten like a second grade spelling test." Like exactly. So no, he was actually a really great boyfriend. But I spent a lot of time pining for him. Um, I'd also say that twenty five is a lot younger than you think. Mm-hmm. And don't worry about hitting any major milestones by then other than surviving your 20s after college. Because mm-hmm. that was a really rough time for me. I went straight to grad school and it was not an easy time. Because um, I thought I'd be married by 25. Like, I don't know. In my oh. head, that mm-hmm. was like the magic number. That just sounded old enough for making decisions like that for me. And um, so I, I felt like I had in my mark, like, okay, I'm going to get out of college. And then this, these things are going to happen. Like, this is how my life is going to look. And just to not worry about hitting a mark by a certain point or having things together by a certain point, like those things will happen, but not on the timeline that you're thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also you and... don't, you don't know anything. <laughs> 20 year old <laughs> Katie, you don't know anything. <laughs> I know. Uh, I think that's good advice. I, 20 year old Ashley needs some tough love. <laughs> I would grab her by the shoulders. <laughs> And look her in the eye and say, stop measuring your self-worth in male attention for the love of God. (laughs) I um, would also tell her that college is like the last time you will have all of your great female best friends all in one place. You'll all be single together at the same time. You'll all have all this like free time and you're young and like doing stuff and just soak that up stop worrying about boys stop worrying about the future just soak it all up yeah and um 
The last thing I would say is take a <laughs> women's studies class for crying out loud. Yes. Get started. Know your history. Like, learn about it. Um, yeah. So 20-year-old 20, 20 Ashley had a, a lot to learn and a long way to go. Yeah. That's good. And I'm sure when we're in our – 40s and 50s we're gonna look back and have a lot of advice for a 30 year old when we're recording kindreds in 10 years (laughs) (laughs) here's hoping i guess yeah we'll We'll see i don't know if that's good or bad hopefully we will still be friends and we will talk yes it'll be we'll We'll listen to this and go man we thought we we thought we knew something we, we thought really we knew it. something. Oh my gosh. That was It's so a time fun. capsule. Yeah. That's yeah. what this is. And one thing I've learned, and I love the question, Ashley was the one who came up with it, like to think about your younger self. But for a long time, I really judged my young self, like especially that 10-year-old self. Like I mm. really, really was harsh on her and treated her the way I would never treat my my own child. And now I'm just like... I was such in a hard situation and trying to be compassionate towards Mm -hmm. that. That's why I had the picture of myself up and therapists have helped me with this. Just like really having compassion for the Mm -hmm. child within you. And one thing that also quoting Carrie Jackson, she's one of my favorite people. She's like, you are all the ages that you have ever been. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Like the Mm -hmm. 10 year old self is still there. The 20 year old self is still there. Sometimes they get triggered and like being able mm-hmm. to be compassionate to that younger self is so important for practicing self-compassion. Mhm. I think we should leave it there, honestly. <laughs> I don't think we could I don't think we can say anything better than that. Carrie I love Jackson that so much. Always. Yeah. Always, always. So, what are we reading and listening to? Yeah. What are you reading and listening to? I'm curious. I am almost done with uh, Work Optional. Ooh, I like the sound it's, of that. Um, <laughs> Retire Early, The Non-Penny-Pinching Way. Mm. And this is a new book written by Tanya Hester of our friends over at the Fairer Sense yes. podcast. Yeah. I uh, I love this book. Um, I'm really into the idea of reexamining the way we think about retirement, which is what this book does. Because uh, generally when we think about retirement, we think about being in our 50s or 60s, you know, having this long career. And then we like one day we just stop working. Yeah. And um, there's just a lot of other ways to think about retiring. Like, um, And that's what this book kind of helps you explore uh, what you want out of uh, a work balance for the rest of your over the course of your life and how to sort of structure your money and your finances and plan for the future and plan for retirement in a way that helps you get there. So she talks about ideas like a career intermission, like Mm. maybe you have spent some time putting away enough money that you could take a year off and do something different or cut back on your hours or go to part time work, you know, or if and you know, women do this all the time when we have kids. A lot of times we like restructure our financial lives so that we can work less, you know, Mm -hmm. and be home more. And so it's not an unfamiliar concept. It's just putting it into the bigger picture of like, if we think about retirement um, and instead of thinking about it as this like end game that's very far off and Mm -hmm. we think about like, how can we actually have the life we want now too? Yes, I love that. Um, Yeah. So I love it too. And she's part of the financial independence, retire early Mm -hmm. buyer Mm -hmm. movement, which, um, is a whole, it's a, it's a whole philosophy of folks that like save as much money as they can and invest and stuff so that they can retire early. 
um, which has its criticisms as well. But um, there's it's really interesting way of thinking about life, um, especially if you are like me and just challenging the way people tend to think about things without questioning. Yeah. <laughs> like, I like to I like to think about things from different perspectives anyway. So yeah. Anyway, I, I love it. It's called Work Optional by Tanya Hester. I, I really want to read that because I find her really intriguing. I know you've been following her blog for a long time. Also, if you want to listen to the episode that I did while you were on maternity leave with Erin Lane, she did a sabbatical for a year. That's right. Where she didn't pursue uh, paid work. And it's really good mm-hmm. where she talks about kind of the, the same similar concept, but more in a she thinks about it in a spiritual way of what sabbatical mm-hmm. is like a Sabbath in her life and that she plans to do one every seven years, which is like cool, really cool. And Matt and I have talked about how I don't ever really want to stop working or getting paid for work. It's just I want to be able to do the kind of work I want to do. And yep. I hope to do that for the rest of my life because I just find work really rewarding. But but not feeling chained to a particular kind of situation that makes me feel stifled or prevents me from doing what I want to do. Like that really appeals to me. So I want to read that. That's sort of my definition of financial independence as well. And Tanya, um, that's sort of where she's landed too. Like they've put away a lot of money, but um, they were able, she and her husband were able to quit their corporate jobs Mm -hmm. and she was able to write this book. Yeah. And um, things like that, like pursue work that wasn't going to pay as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And they want to do a lot of, um, I think she has two podcasts now, like another one in addition to the Fairer Sense. So I think it's just, yeah, it can be whatever you want it to be, um, but just breaking breaking out of the box a little bit. Yeah. Mine is really unrelated because I don't think I've ever made this confession on this, but I love all of those serial told stories about unsolved murders and stuff. And I have not (laughs) used that as one thing to lift up on this show, but there's one right now that's really good. And I hope I can give a strong case for why it's important for our audience. So um, it's called, it's called Root of Evil. And it's Mm -hmm. the story of the Hodel family and the Black Dahlia, which is an unsolved murder from the 1940s. Um, Mm -hmm. And I won't give anything away, but I'll just say there's the very first episode deals with the construction of racial identity in a way that is Mm -hmm. fascinating. Um, And the two sisters who are telling the story about their families, I guess about their their mom and their grandfather, um, one is biracial, identifies as black Mm -hmm. and one's white. So it's a really interesting just there's a lot of racial dynamics in addition to the the mystery around the murder and stuff. And I, I believe it's also been made into a miniseries on TV and I don't know the name of it. That's why it sounds yeah. familiar to me. Yeah. Yes. I heard someone talking about the miniseries. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll, this sounds really yeah, good. Yeah, and if you want to hear a true crime podcast that's hosted by two women who are looking into their family history, it's just different from some of the ones that, you know what I mean? Like sometimes it's a male mm-hmm. narrator always talking about like, a woman gets murdered, blah, blah, blah. But this one just mm-hmm. feels different. And I think the going back into your family history and looking into this stuff and sharing things. Also, the, their mother had done all of these recordings of interviews because she was trying to figure out her own family. And um, so they're, they're airing that stuff that no one's ever heard before. So it's just really good if you're – I think they've only done maybe three or four episodes so far. But if you're looking for that kind of like thriller – uh, true crime podcast. Uh, I really recommend Root of Evil. Cool. I'm going to give that one a shot. That sounds like my next yeah, one. Yeah, that's good. 
So um, I'll take the kindreds of the moment. Yay. We kind of both came up with this yes. one, but um, yeah. So we're our kindred of the moment is Gloria Steinem, Woo. who is someone we love on this podcast, and uh, we wanted to lift her up today because of the way that she's always been a champion for aging and like talking openly and frankly about aging. Mm-hmm. And um, she turned 80 a couple of years ago, right before she released her book, um, My Life on the Road. Is that what it's called? Yeah. And um, there was a great piece in the New York Times that we'll put in the show notes called This is What 80 Looks Like. And I loved this quote she said about turning 80, what she wanted to do for her 80th birthday. She's planning to celebrate in Botswana. And she said, I thought, what do I really want to do on my birthday? First, get out of Dodge. Second, ride elephants. (laughs) And I just love that. Um, And we have mentioned Gloria Steinem before, and I believe we uh, featured this podcast as a kindred to the moment. Was it on our very first episode? It was early. The conversation. It was early on. I want to lift this up again. The the Death, Sex, and Money episode that is a conversation between Gloria Steinem and Ellen Burstyn. Mm Mm-hmm. And they just talk about getting older and looking back over their lives and as they're um, thinking about their mortality. And it's just a really beautiful conversation between two women who are just like huge admirers of one yeah. another. And I love it. So I actually want to go listen to it again. Even I've heard it before, but it's been a while. I want to listen to it again. And if you haven't listened to that episode, you should seek it out. And just one more shout out for her for podcast. Uh, because I just listened to an interview that Ann Friedman from Call Your Girlfriend did with Gloria Steinem. Oh. And they have this great intergenerational conversation about feminism and and Gloria's role in the feminist movement and why we see her as a household name versus, you know, like the black women as part of the movement. And um, she talks really practically about, you know, she's going to die one day and what she wants to leave behind and, and stuff like that and the legacy that she wants to leave. But they also have a really great conversation about some issues that are just different now than when the second wave feminists were working and how Anne and Gloria mm-hmm. like don't agree on everything, but they have this very mm. good back and forth dialogue and come to a place of mutual understanding. So it's just nice to see again, you know, feminists who can disagree about certain aspects of the feminist agenda and still have tremendous respect for each other and for women to be talking. I think Anne's probably our age or so talking yeah, to I think so. an octogenarian. It's just a really nice intergenerational conversation about feminism that um and I appreciated Gloria Steinem having it, you know? It was really good. So we'll link to that too. All right. So that's it for today. Next episode, we're going to be talking about why men should be feminists. Oh, that'll be a good one. Talk to you then. Yeah, that will. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you.